0: My name is Carlton Dennis, and being a tax strategist, I see the most successful entrepreneurs, business owners, and celebrities overpaying millions in taxes every single year. But just by understanding the tax codes, and with the help of my team, we've cracked the code to living tax-free. So stay tuned while I share the strategies that have saved my clients hundreds of millions of dollars and position positioned them to build wealth strategically. Welcome to Tax-Free Living.
1: my work clothes in this heat and, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know. you're in a,
0: a really good area right now the sun's out is that uh outside of your apartment complex it's looking yeah. nice is yeah. that downtown yeah is that the lake that everyone goes and uh hangs out into
1: uh yeah they go a little bit further but there's a lot of paddle boarding and stuff that happens right there it's fun stuff dude
0: i always see people on my instagram and social media hanging out in all the different rivers and lakes in texas and i'm like i didn't even know texas had lakes and rivers i didn't even
1: know <laughs> <laughs> hey we got we got hill country over there too man it's uh there's some hills and everything out here
0: <laughs> how long have you been living out in dallas now
1: uh i'm in austin it's uh oh, awesome it's been uh it'll be two years in january
0: two years in january
1: Two years awesome. in january man it's uh life moves quick
0: <laughs> well i'm glad that you're liking it out there would you change it or would you want to stay in austin uh we gotta stay in Austin man things are booming right now we can't leave things are booming and you have no state taxes (laughs) it's hot right now we can't leave (laughs) California's getting cold and Austin is getting hot and Florida's getting hot
1: exactly yeah exactly we're in the right place at the right time
0: but with California it's like there's always people moving in and out like right now we just feel as a California resident it just feels like a lot of people are moving out but in general, there's always just people trying to move into California because now there's just an opportunity to buy single-family homes. So you're about to start buying stuff. (laughs) I am about to start buying things and I might be buying in California soon. Let's go ahead and kick this off. Welcome back to Tax-Free Living, guys. I am here with Peyton Thompson and I'm super excited to bring Peyton onto the show because Peyton has grown into a friend of mine. We met through a mutual friend who I played football with and believe it or not, me and Peyton actually played the same position. Peyton is a defensive back for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He did great while he was there. And now he's now in the working force working in real estate. So I first kind of want to introduce Peyton and let him tell you a little bit about himself. But I do want to spend some time talking about the football because we played the same position. I just kind of want to learn your your mindset when you were playing out there. So first, just tell me who you are, a little bit of background of of what you've done so far in your career and how you got yourself to where you're at today.
1: And Sacramento born and raised. raced. Nah, I was born in uh, Texas, moved out to uh, California when I was maybe one or two. And it was all NorCal from there. Even went to school at San Jose State. Uh, we might've, we might've dabbled over there at Cal Poly for a minute, man. Uh, <laughs> came, came and blessed y'all real quick. Hopefully we didn't take an um, I think we took the L when you guys played us. Hey, I'll take that. Cause that's <laughs> was one of the few we probably got.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, Man went undrafted, was in Atlanta, Washington, then did a long stint in Jacksonville. Uh, got done playing, moved back to California for about a year, and uh them taxes were crazy. <laughs> taxes were crazy, cost of living was crazy, uh gas was like 480 a tank. It was like 180 when I left Florida. Wow. So yeah, it's just a complete, completely different life, man. And, uh for example, you go out and grab a drink with your lady, you're paying like 14 bucks, 15 bucks. Yeah. a little tequila soda. <laughs> I was hitting like 7 out here. I was living. Right? <laughs> you know, it's just a different life. The cost um, of living. Absolutely. Um so moved out here, everything's everything's been solid on the up and up, man. Uh really worked on my networking. There'll be a piece coming out about my networking strategy that I try to use. I call it coffee for degrees. And uh I was kind of just at a transitional period where you know, is do I go back to school or, you know, do I, do I become an intern? Like I was just kind of lost. I didn't really yeah. know what to do. Um, so I started just hitting a bunch of CEOs and things like that up on LinkedIn and taking them to lunch, buying them coffee, uh, doing whatever I can to get them to sit in front of me, man. And I would just learn from their experience. We'd just ask a bunch of questions, take a bunch of notes. Um, and it's funny cause we just did a recording on this today. Uh, you don't really find out what you want to do, but you'll find out what you don't want to do real quick. You'll hear mm-hmm. from people's like past experiences and things like that. And you'll be like, "Yeah, it's not for me." Yeah. Uh, and then that that kind of led me to move into Austin and real estate in the market, and everything was booming. And that's kind of, I mean, I just started to network. I continue to bring that copy for a degree into Austin and just continue to do that. I Man, I found some great mentors who put me on game. I mean not all your moves are going to be great and solidified and bulletproof but yeah. uh put me in good situations at least advised me correctly and gave me good counsel to help make better decisions as I just tried new stuff um and eventually got into what I got into which has been development um smaller projects condo regimes to custom homes yeah um, all residential um just different sizes of projects just whatever the opportunity is but there's so many different genres in real estate um I mean, there's a thousand ways to make money in real estate. You can't say that for every field, right? That's um, So with real estate, it's cool, man, because you get to try different things. You get to figure out what you like, what you don't like, um, what works for you, how you like to make money the people you like to deal with. So it's a lot of adjustments and evolving and figuring out exactly what your niche is. So right. having that good, that good counsel out here that I found in and, and a good network of mentors has been, and it's been a game changer. It's definitely allowed me to flow freely without making too many mistakes
0: yeah so you're you're now a developer in real estate but you really started the workforce career as an NFL player so you went as an undrafted um rookie were you expecting to go undrafted for one and then two once you got into the league were you expecting to be there long because you were in the league for quite a number of years Mm
1: -hmm. I uh I mean you never expect to go undrafted I understand the reality of things sometimes right um So I get it. Of course, there's a lot of guys who got picked in front of me that just obviously didn't pan out, probably didn't even play half as long as I played. But everything happens for a reason, man. When undrafted, I guess that was the chip on my shoulder. Right. But I actually made a choice to go to Atlanta because I knew I wasn't going to play, which I know sounds crazy. But they just had I think we keep six corners and four safeties, keep like 10 or 11 active DVs. Dude, I went to a team that had five or six Pro Bowlers in one room. So I knew I wasn't going to play, but I knew I was going to learn a lot. Yes. And I think that I think that's kind of what I do with my investments, too. I don't mind taking like a half of a win if I get a whole education with it. Yes. Right? Um, So, yeah, I made that move. Went to Atlanta. Did not expect to play. Did not get to play. Uh, my second year, they drafted a corner in the first and second round. So I was for sure out. Okay. Uh, and then really didn't get too much. Too much burn until year two, second halfway through second year. Um, ended up getting a Jacksonville, man, and doing a long stint there. And then that – the secret to that sauce was just right place, right time. Obviously, you know, dude, there's luck in everything. 100%. Yeah. Um, so right place, right time. But really, it was just a good fit for me culturally. It really just allowed me to just be who I am um, and still play ball, and it wasn't as militant, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was more, more of a player's locker room, which is perfect, right? How good would you be at your job, man, if you just got bossed around all day and you didn't get to be, you didn't get to be you, right? You didn't well, get to smile all. from people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not using your best attributes. So you um, felt more comfortable in Jacksonville than you did in Atlanta. Oh, felt more comfortable in Jacksonville than I did anywhere in my career. That's interesting. Uh, Do you think it was just, just strictly
0: the coaching, or was it also the players too that were in Jacksonville? Was the environment better?
1: Uh well, I'll say this you know how it is, man. The co- the coaches come in and they change the whole culture. It could be the same players from last year, but if you bring a new coach in, everything's going to be different. Uh, so it's the coaches. I would say it was the coaches that we had there at that time. They're the Seahawks regime, man. They're just extensions of Pete Carroll, man. They're just good people, bro. They just really yeah. allowed you to really allowed you to do you, which you know, I thrive in that. I thrive in that, you know, I'm more with that entrepreneurial mindset than being a cog in the machine, so yeah. Uh, that allowed me to, that allowed me to be a little bit better.
0: I think the best football athletes are the ones that can just do them. Right. Mm-hmm. I think the, the Aaron Rodgers, the Aaron Donalds of the world, they, they understand their skill set, but they also just do them and they have right. fun. And if you're a coach, it's really hard for you to just tell one of your star players, Hey, I need you to conform to this style of how we do things when that's not what had gotten them to the success right. that they see for themselves. Right. I think that's interesting that you brought that up. And One of the things that you mentioned was that you're there in Atlanta um, working under five Pro Bowl corners, but you chose Atlanta because you got to absorb information. You knew you weren't going to play. And then once you left out of the league, you started taking CEOs to lunch because Mm -hmm. you wanted to figure out what they were doing with their lives so you can figure out what you didn't want to do.
1: I just think I want to see what they I want to just want to see what they messed up along the way. Like, you know how like. You'll pick it, you'll pick a degree in college. And then like a year into it, you're like, no, nah, I want to do something else. Yeah. Or you're just sitting there like, man, I got to pick this one thing I'm going to do. I remember as a freshman, like, dude, that's a lot. You know, yeah. I don't even know what half this stuff is that I'm picking. And that's what the transitions like when you get done and you, you don't really know what you're going to do next. It's like, dude, I can pick any degree, any field of work to go into that I want to. Something I've never thought about. When you get out of ball, it's crazy because as I'm taking these CEOs to lunch, I'm learning about roles and jobs that I didn't even know existed. Right. My mind is just blown every time, right? But by taking those people to lunch or taking them to coffee, you just want to know about their story. Yeah. You want to know about their story. It's not necessarily like, oh, I know you're in construction. How do I do that? It's Mm -hmm. just like, where did you start? Oh, you were selling shoes. And then you, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You worked for your dad. And then you worked in a law office for like a year and you said, screw it. And you started a construction company. Like, yeah, those are the stories that are very realistic and more everyday person, more catered to the everyday person. But you learn so much more because you go back and you say, why did you leave that? Mm-hmm. If that was going well for you at the law office, why did you leave? Right. Right. Those and type of back, like, questions. Yeah. Like, uh, the, honestly, the hours. Like I like to watch football and hang out with a friend at least one night a week. Law, you can't do that. Okay, right. cool. That's off my list too. <laughs> like, you know <laughs> what I mean? And that's that's really what it comes down to. Is just in you'll find out what you're doing by eliminating the the other random things that are clutter that are really just possibilities that you're kind of half entertaining. And learning where you want to invest
0: your time, right, Peyton? Because from what I'm hearing from you, you've always been an investor. You went to Atlanta because you wanted to invest your time with other pro bowlers so you can learn a skill set. You wanted to become a really good defensive back. And then when you Mm -hmm. got out of the league, rather than just going into the job force or going to um, school for something that you're not sure if you're going to be passionate about, you decided to invest with CEOs and pay for their lunches and buy them coffee just to hear them talk about their lives, their experiences in business and what they're currently doing. So you've kind of had this investor mindset all along. Now, you've been out of football for how long now?
1: Two, it'll be three years in January. What has changed your life? What has changed your (laughs) life since then? Uh, Everything, I mean, you know how football is. It's militant. Yeah. They got you hour to hour, your time blocked your whole life. You know what I mean? So now you get to a point where you make your own schedule, your own priorities, and you got to create your own structure. And a lot of that is, I mean, that's stuff you can get from mentors. And that's a part of that investment is getting that education on how to do that. But yeah, a lot of it is just self willingness, dude. It's really just, it's honestly, yeah. it's hard. And I get why a lot of people fail. And yeah. I get why it's hard because there could be one day I got, where a dentist appointment is at 10 o'clock, and I got to go walk a lot at 1130. And next thing you know, last, you know, I'm opening my laptop for the first time or getting to my computer at 230. And I haven't been on it since like nine, like, I just missed a half a day of work, right? Yeah. Um, And it's stuff like that, man. But that's adulting, really, I guess. (laughs) Uh, (laughs)
0: Well, and it's the entrepreneur lifestyle, too. Because, you know, as an athlete, you're like you just said, you're it's very militant, your whole day is essentially already planned out for you from the start of the day, whether you're eating breakfast, you're working out, you're watching film, your day as a football athlete is gonna be pretty scheduled out. But when you go into the entrepreneurial life, you kind of have to set your own schedule. You have to self-motivate yourself. You have to follow up with your own clients, send out your own emails, create your own flyers and do your own marketing. So it is a lot of self-motivation you have to have. And I feel like the sacrifices you made in football kind of bleed over into the work ethic that you have
1: um as an entrepreneur now absolutely absolutely i mean it's the same tools carry over man we're, yeah. we, hey, were you the guy that touched the line or you didn't touch the line
0: exactly i always touched <laughs> yeah. the line
1: man i didn't want
0: to be the you guy that didn't touch didn't the line, touch the line you, and the coach had be, to call me out exactly.
1: for not touching the line Call the name, touch the line we are running two more ah. <laughs> right uh and it's that you know are you the guy that stays extra are you guys are you guys that comes in in between classes watches seven on sevens with coach and ask some questions or are you kind of just like, I got it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> same thing, dude. It's same thing. And it's, it's really sad, man, to see a lot of guys kind of get lost in the sauce and not really understand, you know, how to make the transition or, or to do the things that they've already accomplished in regular life, just because they lost sight of the little things. Yeah. And the I, little things, think it's the basic to tools, basic tools,
0: mm-hmm. right.
1: I mean, even if you don't have a plan, I didn't have a plan, but I had a plan about a plan. Like, I at least had a strategy. I Maybe like at least, that. I at least had a strategy. Like, I, I'm a figure it out guy. So, I'm going to – it doesn't matter if you put if you put a Rubik's Cube or something in front of me. And I'll really tell you, like, man, I do not know how to do that. But it internally, I'll find something to motivate me that will make me just figure it out. I'll figure it out eventually. If I got to see eight hours, three days, or I get it in 20 minutes, dude, I'm going to figure it out. It's really just a pride thing, right? So at least knowing that about myself and at least knowing what tools I did have coming from sports, I knew that if I at least put a strategy on it, like, hey, this is what we're going to try. I'll figure it out.
0: Yeah. That resilient nature is is a very attractive skill set to have in business and even on the football field, resiliency, being able to say, you know what, I am going to figure it out. I'm going to go back up to the batter's box and take another swing. I'm just going to figure out a way to make sure that this deal gets done. Now, you mm-hmm. have transitioned out of the football into the working field. Talk to us a little bit about what you're doing in real estate. You had mentioned that you're doing some development projects.
1: Yeah, I've been doing, I've invested and done some development projects. I've invested in one that have been a part of, I think, eight, uh, seven custom projects, custom builds. Um, All over $2 million sale points, price points. Um, And now I'm on my first condo regime, which is where you, uh, we call them ADUs, where you'll buy a unit or you'll buy a lot and you'll put a unit on the front and a unit on the back. Um, Single family dwellings, just two of them. They'll have like a shared driveway. I'm sure you've seen a lot of them, but in places like Austin where the suburbs meet right outside of downtown, um, it's very common. I mean, I would say it's a third of all the lots out here to have those type of dwellings on them just yeah. because there's there's a limited amount of dirt out here. I mean, I know it's Texas and there's desert everywhere, but you yeah. don't want to be 30 minutes away from downtown, right? So uh these lots that are parceled up, they're you know, they're few and hard to come by, you know. Yeah. So people are doing these condo regimes. So I'm starting to do those now that I'm kind of out of the custom world. I didn't like how long the deal flow was. Mm-hmm. Um For example, COVID. One of the investments I'm in, um, the deal. I mean, it's a 12 month build, 14 months your money's in it, and then you gotta sell it. It sits on the market a couple weeks, like a couple months. You know, you're in a year and a half till you get some money back, right? Yeah. Maybe two years till you get some money back. That's that's not how you want to operate, and that's not how I'm gonna best get uh, my investors a return on their money. They're gonna get over a 20% return for sure on any project that we actually commit to, but How long does it take for that money to come back? So getting into these allows us to do more deals, create more flow, uh, bring in more investors, get their feet wet, and just experience more success, more deals, more success, man. I like Um, it. Yeah. That's really really what it comes down to. You always got to be evolving, right? And I'm sure two or three years from now, I'll find another niche or something like that 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 I like. But uh, for right now, especially with COVID, I think developing under the $800,000 price point is the biggest market out there. And that's where we're going to get the most buyers for our builds.
0: I like that. Yeah. For anyone who's watching and doesn't know. So ADUs, accessory dwelling units. It's essentially where you're building another unit on the back of a house. So imagine turning a single family home into a duplex or turning it into a triplex. You're pretty much hiring a builder to have a construction project on a back lot that's allowing you to turn your regular primary residence now into a rental property. I like ADUs because it can turn someone who's not an investor into an investor instantly
1: or instantly. And it's it's really cool because I mean there's different ways around it. Like let's say uh, now these ones are separated which is cool, right? It's just two separate units on yeah. on one lot, right? Well, I mean you got to put a garage or a carport or something in there, right? So on that garage, if you add a studio or something like that above it, now you have rental income. Yeah. Now you got cash flow. You can own that back house and rent out that, right? So, so that's what that's what we're really trying to do for our investors, right? Is put them in a situation where as they exit, they can make an option. They can make a choice huh. Um, on do they wanna sell this or do they wanna keep it and cash? rent both of them out, right? Um, that cash flow is, is everything, right? So it's really just dependent on what they wanna do and investors love having some options.
0: So you went the route of meeting with CEOs having lunch, doing coffee to now becoming a developer. What made you choose development over another genre of real estate investing? I know that there's fix and flipping, there's wholesaling, there's buy and hold strategies. What made you want to do the developments?
1: Even though I'm not like picking up a hammer, there's something about having a command of the entire project from like raw dirt you know, and then developing the dirt to where now there's utilities, right? Mm-hmm. And there's there's taps. Now there's actually resources that are coming to the lot, um, and now now I can build something that's really cool. I get to put my design aspect on things. What I think I have is a design aspect, uh, <laughs> and put and put my touch on floor plans and things like that. Now, like I said, even though I'm not picking up a hammer, I'm creating something cool, and it's cool when somebody buys something. or makes the biggest purchase of their life off something you designed or built that's really cool Uh, what's even better is as you're designing it and building it you usually don't know who it's for right so you're just you're just proud of yourself right like man (laughs) i did this floor plans look cool the build's going well we're on budget my design looks amazing dang who's gonna buy this and then someone buys it and you're like that's awesome that they get to live in that because i thought that was a pretty cool house Right. So just being a part of the whole process is really the fun part. Yeah. Uh, You can wholesale some dirt, flip to somebody, you know, make a couple, make 30, 40, 50,000. You know, you can, you can do different genres. I'd rather just do a couple of genres and make the, make the one that I really like the main one.
0: I like that, man. That's cool. I work with a lot of other investors who started out doing buy and holds, but now they're doing development projects because that same, Um, idea that you said there's more of like a canvas to it right where they can kind of design what they see for themselves and so you're you're going through a build project what are some of the struggles that you feel like you're hitting with COVID-19 and where the marketplace is at during this whole pandemic we had over the last few months
1: my last project is in a in a push right now we're having to lower the price point on a sale on one of our custom builds because it finished right when quarantine hit Uh, So everybody was hugging their pockets a little tight. Right. And then the market changed. Right. People want bigger house. We need a big office. We're home all day. uh, Definitely need a pool. Definitely need this. So what the market was telling us before COVID and what the market's telling us during COVID is completely different, which is why I said, I probably won't do deals that are that have that long of deal flow anymore. Yeah. I mean, COVID is not going to pop up every year, but, you run the risk of selling in a different market than you invested in. Mm. And, you know, that's always a tough variable. They can't put that on pro forma, right? Um, and when you're dealing with your money or somebody else's money, it's just not a conversation I want to have, right? Uh, so that's, that's been an issue. Um, but to be completely honest, outside, outside of that one project, everything's been booming out here, man. It's I think even during 2010, somebody on this podcast, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, I believe in 2010 through the eight through 10, the market out here only dipped four and a half percent. And it already dipped 4% when COVID hit and it's already back. So uh, this market's hot. These yeah. are, you know, the inventory that we have is very low. Uh, I've seen things on the market a day or not even make it to market. And that happens a lot. Um, just the market turnover is very short and it's just, yeah. things are hot. People are buying, people are selling. It's, uh, it's actually pretty crazy to witness. So there's definitely more good things than bad with COVID.
0: It's just the market is just incredible out there in um, Austin and in Dallas because the the inventory is somewhat growing. I don't think it's at a cap yet. And then we're getting a lot of tech companies wanting to move into Dallas and into Austin um, because the state taxes are so much, they're non-existent. So if I'm living in a place that doesn't have state taxes, I'm getting arguably some of the similar weather that I was getting in California and I can buy myself a bigger primary residence, I might wanna move there and possibly work for a tech company that now is allowing me to work remote. So we are seeing a lot of California residents moving over into Texas. Now, being a resident of Texas, have you noticed that shift and more people showing up or being in the gym or? um,
1: Shout out to the the West Coast, we've taken over. (laughs) So the West Coast has taken over Florida or uh, uh, Texas or no? Yes, absolutely. All the true Austinites are starting to expand and get out of downtown and get out of regular Austin and just go off into the cuts because we are taking over. And you know how we do it. We do it. With smile on our face. So they're going to like it or they got to get out the way. <laughs> That's funny. Though. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you. I mean, I remember my first year here, I would go places and like, you'd be a group of people. You know, you got one mutual friend in the group. You meet everybody else, and the one mutual friend's from Texas. Everybody you meet, seven out of 10 are from California. Wow. You're like, oh, okay, cool. I'm right where I need to be, right? And it's, I would say it's like a lot of California, Colorado, uh, California, Colorado out here just taking over masses, Yeah, just masses. They hate us out here, but they got it. Now, us. other
0: than the beaches, what would California residents not get if they were to move to Texas? <laughs>
1: I feel like uh, that's really
0: the only thing that really holds us back. I feel like.
1: Well, the cool thing about like California, California is yeah. you're. Yeah, go ahead. The cool thing about California is you're three hours away from like any sort of, uh, you know, nature desires that you have, like natural desires. If you want to go see waterfalls and mountains, or you want to go see beaches, or you want to see deserts, or whatever it is, like it's a three, four hour trip any which direction to get what you want. It's not like that out here, but it is an hour or two flight away. It's quick, yeah, it's right. quick. I can get to LA in two hours for sure. Um, a lot of people out here during um, during the winter when they want to ski and they want to snowboard and things like that, they go to New Mexico or they go to Colorado, um, which are both quick trips or quick drive. But uh, yeah, it's not it's not three hours away. That's the only thing you're missing. Now I will say this: it's hot as hell out here, um, human. But that's yeah, but it's hot. It's hot. It's like Sacramento hot. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's booming. Um, and that is like four or five months out of the year. But I mean, for no income tax, uh, lower cost of living, and only two more hot months out of the year, it's worth, it's worth it. So if someone would a-
0: move to Austin, Texas, and they wanted to do real estate investing and make their money work for themselves, what would, you, what would your recommendation be? Would you tell them, hey, you know, you're better off starting off with a property out of state, out of Texas. You should definitely buy here in Texas, the market's growing. And if they should buy in Texas, should they go with a development project along the lines of what you're doing or should they try to get into like a single family or maybe a multifamily unit if they can afford to do so?
1: You mean a single family, multifamily is like a buy and hold? Yeah, it's like a more of a buy and hold. Right. Uh... I would definitely say hop on it in, in Texas. Now, demand is high, so prices are going up a little bit, but they're still significantly lower than California, and obviously there's no income tax. So on when you exit those deals, said says, when you get into those deals, you're confident about your exit, yeah. right? Um, and that's that's a part of it, right? How do I exit this deal? What will my money look like? Well, you know you're dealing with a 1031, and if I do take any money in, I'm not going to get hit as if I normally would. This is probably the best decision to make, right? Yeah. Now, as far as what type of investment, man, I'm always a fan of diversifying. Uh, If you can can buy a home to live in, if you're going to move here and you want to, I would say buy a home for sure and save some extra cash to hop into development or something like that in which you can learn and, Mm -hmm. and grab the education from it because a lot of the real estate stuff half the work can be done. You can, you can do most of it. It's really just the knowledge and the understanding what's going on around you. And if you buy and you actually live here, you're going to start to understand the areas around you and what's going on. And there's a lot of stuff that you can do yourself. So I would say, I would say definitely diversify. I got one friend that's moving here from college and she, um, she got approved. I want to say she was like pre-qual, like 1.4, something like that. She was like, yeah, I want to get big house. Blah, blah. I'm like, Dude, this is what you should do. You should, right? Because at one four, you can either, you can buy that front house and that back house in the development in a condo regime, right? Yeah. Live in one or rent both out for sure, or sell one and rent the other out. You have options. I said, but really what you should do is go get a house for like 600K and then spend another three or four getting a buy and hold property, a rental or something like that that just kicks you some cash. And then, you know, after that, you can do what you got to do, right? Um, but I would, I would always suggest to diversify. And if you are going to move to Austin, definitely, or Texas in general, definitely buy.
0: Yeah. You mentioned, you mentioned starting with the, the exit strategy. Like how do you plan on exiting as an investor? We've learned that over time, but, um, for someone who's new to investing, how would they know about what their exit strategy needs to be? Or where would they even start learning information about exit strategies and thinking like an investor before they even think about making a purchase?
1: Mentors, stop being scared. Stop being scared and call people and ask questions. Nobody wants to see you get screwed over. So if you ask somebody a question, they're going to give you the best possible answer they got. My suggestion is to ask three people the same question, right? Uh, Whether it's me, it's you, it's somebody else. Like ask questions and verify the information. If you got to look it up on Google, that's fine. But definitely go ask somebody about their their experiences and what they would and wouldn't do in that situation. You're going to find out. You know, that's how you really find out, you know, they say if you're making 15 to 18 uh, percent return on your return, it's a good investment. Yeah. Well, yeah, I've said that three times in conversations and I was told twice, if it's not 18 to 20, don't do it because this market's too good and there's too many opportunities. If you're hitting 15 to 18, that project goes wrong. You're getting 12 to 14. Right. Mm-hmm. You'd like for your project to go wrong and still get 18. Um and it's things like that. That's that's the asking questions part. That's the that's the willingness to take in more information and not just think that you got all the information, right? Right. Um, and then that's how you find out about your exit. That's when people, you know, I didn't know. It's when people turn around and say, "Hey, well, you should be getting eight percent preferred return on your money too." What's preferred return? Mm-hmm. You know. Then they'll say, "Oh, are you signing on the note?" Yeah. Well, that means you're taking all the risk. You should definitely get a guarantor fee. What's that? That means if you're taking all the risk, you should definitely take 1% of the whole project. As I sign on the note, I'm taking this or don't do the deal. And, you know, I was scared, just like most people were like, oh man, I'm going to tell them I'm not going to do it. I feel like I'm being stingy asking for it. I'm trying to get y'all to pay me four times on the way out of this. Right. But those things are standard. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't understand that. Like you don't just sell the place and you get one check. If you're part of the development or you signed on the note or I don't know, maybe, I don't know, maybe you're part of the deal in some other way. Maybe you found the lot or it was your aunt's house and you brought the deal to it, right? Like you should get paid for that 100%. Yeah. And by asking those questions, you find out what your return is. And that's what I mean by exit for everybody out there. How do you exit the deal? What is your return? What are you getting paid on? How many times are you getting paid? What's the percentage? And that's what you track through your whole first investment. Yeah. Everybody just wants to know, what's it look like? Is it a cute house? Does it Does it look all right? How much money is it going to cost? How much money am I going to get back? Mm-hmm. Well, that exit is that exit is everything because you want to you want to be able to make sure you're paying attention to all the variables that may change your exit throughout the project.
0: Yeah, real estate investors always know to think with the end in mind, and your mentorship has taught you that. One of the things that I know a lot of people struggle with is trying to find the right mentor. So, what would you give someone who's who's listening to this podcast as a recommendation? What does that mentor need to look like? what do they not need to look like in order for them to be someone who you see yourself um, having as a mentor? Um, And how do you go about acquiring that person?
1: I want to backtrack a little bit. Let's take the word mentor out because mentor is kind of like, I feel like most people take that as like one person who's going to lead me and guide me when really like nobody's going to take you on and hold your hand like that, right? Like you got one mentor, you're probably really messing up or they're just giving you too much. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Either It's one of those mentors that's just writing you checks or just, you know, giving you some advice, right? I prefer to have counsel. Mm-hmm. I prefer to have a group of mentors, a couple that know each other, a couple that don't know each other. So I can always vet information and ask, ask different questions or get different perspective. How do you find those people? That coffee for a degree strategy is the best way to do it. I promise you, you'll meet so many people I went from knowing nobody in Austin to like I'm a connector now. I'm for sure a connector of people and of different groups and different, different demographics for sure. And, and do my best and link those together. But I'm able to do that because I find through that coffee for degrees, I found a, a way to learn how to get along and how to talk to all different types of people. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, I was able to find council members that I keep in my corner of all different backgrounds right like I got one mentor that is I swear he doesn't do anything that's not by the bible dude I've never heard him cuss anything like that and all his business directions acquisitions profits everything is for the kingdom so he has like this view Then I got some people who are really like loose cannons they're out of pocket but They're very successful at what they do. They're very detailed at what they do. They're very thorough at what they do. And they're like encyclopedias with data. Right. Mm -hmm. Those two answers I get from them on the same question are going to be completely different. Right. And then I try to have somebody who's more like me. Right. Uh, Very intuitive, very willing to learn, willing to take in all different objectives and perspectives and kind of put it all in and just make the best logical decision yeah so when i say having counsel i don't like mentor because nobody's going to hold your hand and just be that one person that showed you how to get rich unless you got a family member or something like that who was just really trying to pass on pass on the lineage you know pass it on down through the family and they're really just going to give you the keys of the kingdom Nobody's really going to give you that, right? So, that wow. counsel and having different degrees and different levels of counsel um, will really help you make the best decisions. Like, you really, you honestly need somebody who's going to tell you no, and you need somebody who's going to tell you yes, and you need somebody who's going to give you the best advice. And then you need to go home and make a real life decision. Yeah. Right. And that's what it comes down to.
0: I believe, I believe full in what you just said. I agree that mentorship isn't something where, you're expecting someone to live your life for you and tell you or do the actionable steps that you need to do in order to become successful. Success comes in all different shapes and sizes and the ability to be able to network with different mentors allows you to see their different ways and how they got to success. And mm-hmm. you can ultimately align yourself with someone who shares in the same values and has the same, maybe some of the same characteristics that you have. So you can start modeling your life and getting yourself to where they, get, where they are at. Um, mm-hmm. But ultimately, what a mentor is not is someone who's going to simply hold your hand to success or, um, fund your way to success. It's literally someone who's just showing you how to fish, right? Right. So you can continue to fish forever. Um, and I've enjoyed some of the mentors I've gotten to work with. Um, and even the, some of the ones that I don't know about that I would consider be my mentors, um, such as Grant Cardone or Robert Kiyosaki. Um, would you say that there's any people that you've connected with, um, in a bigger space that have had, a, a a lasting motivation on you or a drive that you have now just from some of the content you've seen them do?
1: Are you talking about like actual content, like online, just people that I don't know?
0: Anyone that you would feel that is someone that people can connect with that has provided you value or knowledge in the space that you're in now?
1: Uh, Yeah, man. To be completely honest, like I like the Cardones and and I, I love that stuff, but I try not to take Same thing as the council. I try not to take too much information from one person. I try not to give, I try not to have one person that I latch on to. One, I don't like leaning on people and being that dependent if I happen to know them. If I don't know them, you know, like a Kiyosaki or somebody like that, I've read those books. I love those books. I think they're very informative, but I can't give that person or anybody like that that much credit because I truly don't know them as a person right? Like I see their business decisions, but I don't know what they've done right and what they've done wrong. Mm -hmm. We don't know who was guiding them, right? Like somebody may have been giving them the keys to the kingdom, right? Uh, Somebody may have helped them write that book. They may not be like that in real life, right? Um,
0: So so you believe in
1: going and touching and meeting. everything.
0: Okay. So you believe in sitting down and physically
1: talking to the person. Even if I read a book, right? I'm going to take what I need out of that book. I'm not going to take that person as like, oh yeah, that person, they they blazed that trail for me because really I'm not going to take that much from them. I'm going to take them key necessary points and I'll probably find somebody else who thinks that same way, but elaborated it in a way that helped me better understand it. Right. Mm-hmm. So I really learned from same concept, but I heard it from two or three people and it made more of an impact on me versus, just the one person, right? Totally get that. I get that all Go. the time. see like,
0: like you hear CPAs like kind of get this bad rap because they explain things in such hard tax terms. And then mm-hmm. I personally have not taken the route of a CPA and took the route of a tax strategist where I learned strategy. And it kind of allowed me to communicate more effectively with my clients. It's just, you know, people have different ways of explaining things and you can latch on to certain people's information better than mm-hmm. another way that a person explained it. I like that.
1: It's just that perspective, man. Like they may come from somewhere completely different and that may help you understand it better. Or they may come from somewhere that you come from and that helps you understand it better. But hearing both will help you create a clear picture for yourself and at least allow you to make those decisions for yourself. Yeah. Now, now, if you're if, if you know, for the people who are listening, don't don't take that as don't listen to the books you read. And 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 the people that you talk to, if you're somebody who like, you just need one person to lay it out for you. And once they lay it out or you read it in a book, you're ready to go by all means, do you, but I'm just a why guy. So if I read a book, I know I got like 50 questions. Mm -hmm. I got to go have somebody to ask those questions to, or find a book that's similar to it and see if they got a different perspective. So at least I can make my own decision.
0: Totally agree, man. I feel like there's just too many people in today's day and age that they just see something online. And they just jump into doing what exactly they saw online, not really knowing who that person is, what their background is. Is that person actually successful or have money? They just saw something and what they liked, and they just latch onto it. Whereas your perspective is is, hey, you know, I believe in having mentors, but I believe in having taking bits and pieces from everybody, never latching on too much, especially to someone you don't know. And then also investing a little bit of time to actually sit down with people in your network. In the area that you're in, so you can learn a little bit more hands-on about the stresses that they've had in their life or the ups and downs, so you can get real-life experiences. So you know than, why like, they're like that. Yeah, rather than what a entrepreneur wants you to hear in a right. thirty-minute audible or a podcast recording. I like that because um, you're
1: getting you're getting the highlights of their life. Like Cardone's Cardone's like you know when he's talking, dude, he talks fast. Yeah, he's ready to go. He's he just does deals, dude. He's left and right. He's spitting them out. And that confidence allows you to believe in what he's got going on because you're like, man, he does this so consistently and so regularly that this he's just pumping this out yeah. easy. But, like, dude, we don't know what the first 30 years of his life was like, right? I know, he, I know he owned a couple businesses. Like, the things that went right and went, what went wrong for him, that shaped him. Imagine right. how much more context you'd get to any of his teachings or anything you watch if you sat down and had lunch with him for an hour. Right. It would and you'd be like, oh, different. this makes sense.
0: <laughs> well, you might even view him completely different than the person, yeah, all the like, books
1: you read, all the courses you take in. You might say he's full, of, he's full of it when you get off. And not just him in particular, just people in general. Like... uh uh Bro, I can write a book about what I'm doing right now. We can write a book about coffees for degrees and how to network and all this, and it could accidentally be number one bestseller, and I make all this money, and I'm doing all these shows, and people are listening to me, and I haven't accomplished anything, but I wrote a dope book, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's hard for me to take a book for face value i don't know that person maybe i need to read his second book see what he's really like right or maybe i need to just take his perspective for what it was worth what he gave credit for what he learned from and then like let me go vet it with one of my mentors yeah let me let me go vet this info real quick before i just start absorbing it
0: yeah and that's why i like uh social media because you can just See a little bit more behind the scenes sometimes of people's lifestyle, but at the same time, social media is just a representation of what people want you to see, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, yeah, it's a way for you to connect more emotionally with somebody who you might read or follow. But then at the same time, they're also showing you exactly what they want you to see because they're in control of their cell phone and what absolutely. content is actually coming out of
1: that phone. So absolutely, you I believe like the hype if you want times. to. Yeah, go Leave <laughs> that hype if you want to.
0: Yeah. I uh, like that you said that sometimes, you know, you can't take a book at face value.
1: Mm-mm. I understand.
0: And you with yeah. informational age, everyone is seeking information. Everyone is trying to become financially free. At least the people who are in my network, whether it's through day trading, investing in real estate, starting a business, everyone is trying to figure it out. And it's even more important now at this point in time that you're very cautious about who you're allowing to you're who you're allowing to receive information from what are you allowing into your ecosystem into your environment because it could have a real detriment of how you view yourself your peers around you and the actual steps you take to actually get yourself to where you want to go 100
1: mm-hmm. percent mm-hmm. uh i was i was uh, a friend of mine was making a reference to like you know having to eliminate accounts they follow people in their life things like that and i made a joke like dude i always got my scissors out like if we're not aligned talking the same things and you know same character and principles type thing nothing against you you guys kind of got to move out the way right mm-hmm. and that's the same thing with like social media but at the same time you got to counter that back and say you got to be just as willing to let new things in as well because then you're closing yourself off man. so it it goes both ways you got to be very careful and, and be very strict of who you allow to influence you and that may that may removing a lot of people but at the same time you gotta you gotta let some new key players in because that's going to be that, that new counsel and that new perspective you get um you just got to take it upon yourself to really vet those people yeah
0: well you're growing as a developer and i know that this is something that um you want to continue to do so how can people get into contact with you from today if they're looking to possibly get into the austin market or just learn more about real estate in general
1: uh, you can email me at Peyton at 12riversrealty.com all spelled out. And Peyton is P E Y T O N um, man. Anything, all questions, man. If you're just looking for a home, you just want to know about the market. You're trying to get into investing. You want to do something completely different than what I do. Give me a ring, man. We'll either figure it out or we'll find somebody who can help you figure it out and, man, at least put you in good hands.
0: Well, that's great. Well, if you guys are looking to connect with Peyton, you can reach out to him via email. He's also on social media. Uh, what is the social account that they can follow you at?
1: Mm-hmm. Tatted and spatted.
0: I can't tatted. change it,
1: dude? They San Jose State, they won't let me change it, man.
0: That's crazy. It, That's it been your uh... a ring
1: to it. it. carries a ring to it.
0: <laughs> that was the football name you had tatted and spatted. I remember seeing it on yeah. social media.
1: That was like when I think that was like right after MySpace. <laughs> they like, they're creating handles i'm like man i don't need another MySpace account where it was at if and you weren't were on like, the top eight that was a problem yeah. <laughs> uh, if your song wasn't right you, you know you have problems you better come correct Little yeah if i got to your you page right. and your
0: stuff didn't flow right the boxes didn't align your page wasn't done correctly
1: i was petty <laughs> i was petty because like if you, even if you put too much on there and your page froze up i'm clicking out i'm about yeah, I'm yeah.
0: Not- <laughs> too many music videos on their page <laughs> <laughs> You got to have a theme. Peyton, yeah, it's exactly. been an absolute pleasure having you on Tax-Free Living. And I just want to say thank you for coming on the show. And we look forward to bringing you back on on another time.
1: Man, love it, man. Appreciate you. Thank you for having me. And uh, hey, let's continue to cut these checks. Absolutely. All right, guys, you All take right. care. and We'll see you back here on the next episode.